appreciate our elder board very, very much and just the hard work that they put in to lead well, love well, and um, the good stuff that they've been working on. Like Dan talked about these different committees that have been working and some different conversations that have been going on. Happy New Year. It is great to see you today. Great to kick off 2022 together with you. Uh, for some of you, I do realize the day was yesterday. And some of you are like, man, does he not even know? I know. But it is great to get to be here on this first Sunday of a brand new year with you. And so thanks so much for just making this a part of the way that you're ringing in the new year uh, with us here at Trinity Church. I'm excited about where we're going to go today. Today is a kind of standalone message. I'll share with you by the time we're done where we're going to head into in the next uh, few months, actually, in a study. But right now, would you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13? Start making your way there. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. So what's that? Seven, six books in? And um, if you want to find your way to chapter 13, that would be great. I don't know about you, I know for me, I think it kind of bases a little bit on the way that you're wired if you're a more sentimental person or if you're just kind of like, hey, it's a new day like any other day, the sun came up, the sun's going to go down, let's go get it. I'm a little bit more sentimental in the way that God's wired me and so I do think a lot and maybe you've been that way. You've been reflecting this last week on what 2021 had for you what God brought across your path and what things you engaged in, experiences that you had, relationships that began, relationships that ended. All those types of things were a part of your last few days. And, and then as you begin to anticipate a brand new year, you're looking forward as well and wondering, God, what do you have in front of us? What does that begin to look like? And, and again, we, we have pretty good clarity of what's happened, very little clarity on what will come. I remember two years ago, this very first Sunday of 2020, I had a message that was all about this vision and where we were going, and about three months later, COVID came and changed a lot of things. And so um, that, that idea of expectation, we should still lead with vision, we should still lead with a sense of God is the best we understand and determine and understand your will, let's go this direction, and then we always kind of go, but you get to lead us, you get to bring curves and changes to the course as you see fit. So if you've been having those kind of ideas about reflecting and about thinking forward into the new year, this message today really comes out of that for me. I actually started reflecting on this new year back in November, and it was interesting as I was putting some pieces together, uh, I had told you even around then that I was really blessed and so honored to be asked by Second Baptist Church here in Redlands to come and speak at their 129th anniversary as a church. And their theme for their anniversary was this great theme that we're going to look at today. And it was the idea of, and the greatest of these is love. And I think back to the last couple of years. I don't know that there's a church in America who couldn't say they've been rough. Rough for a lot of reasons. Rough because of different things that we didn't expect from the pandemic and trying to flex and move. Sometimes for Trinity, I tell people the pandemic was the least of our concerns at times. Some of the internal challenges and struggles that we've had. And when you put it all together, and, and I realized as I was putting this message together, 
for Second Baptist Church's uh, anniversary, I realized that this wasn't the message that only Second Baptist needed to hear. This is the message I needed to hear. And I really believe today the message we need to hear as Trinity Church as we move forward. Because I don't know that there's a church on the planet that doesn't need these words, doesn't need this reminder that greatest, most supreme, most significant and important is love. The way we love God and the way we love each other. And so I'm excited to dive in today with that. We're gonna take a look at God's word today to see how essential, how fundamental, foundational love is to everything that we do. And we're gonna realize that Paul wrote these words contextually to a church that was struggling, to a church that was divided, to a church that had high dysfunction. And these words are significant to them, but these words are also super significant to us. The thing that Paul's gonna help us with today is gonna move us out of the land of theory, right? Because love is such an interesting word. Love in the original, when Paul would have been writing the New Testament using Koine Greek, they had four or five different words for what we use love for. We talk about things like, I love my spouse. I I, I love my car. I love my dog. And man, I hope you love those things in very different ways. So because love means everything, love means nothing. The, the word, the English word. So we need to kind of understand, no, love actually has a lot of meaning, a lot of intricacies, and in how the Bible uses the word love, we wanna actually understand it through that lens and just stop kind of going with uh, love is the catch-all for everything else. So today, as we look at 1 Corinthians 13 and what we've often called the love chapter, we're going to see this today of how incredibly significant this is for each and every one of us. And I'm so excited to dive in with you. What I want to look at, your Bibles are open there, but I want you to kind of turn a page backwards and you'll see 1 Corinthians 12. I want you to see where this chapter lies contextually in the book, because what you're going to find all the more the value of this concept, all the more the importance of these words. Because in chapter 12, Paul's talking to a group of of people, like we said, this local church at Corinth. And this church of Corinth had a lot of division and a lot of dysfunction. And one of those came to that they really valued some gifts over others, this kind of sign gift of the Spirit, this kind of speaking gift, these are the gifts that really matter and all the other ones are lesser. And Paul makes a big deal in 1 Corinthians 12, man, God has uniquely designed the body, uniquely gifted individuals in certain ways that when the body comes together, those gifts come together and and they just bring about a beautiful picture. He uses the image of our human physical bodies and he likens these concepts that there are things about your body that are very obvious and overt, but it's the things that you can't see, the things that you take for granted, like a heart. You don't have to think pump, 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 It does it all by itself, at least those of ours that are working correctly, okay? And in that whole situation, those are the things that we can take for lesser, for for granted and forget. This is extremely significant to being able to do the other things that this body does. Paul brings that to light, uses the imagery of the human body, and he says, don't become confused to think that some things are worth less than others. They're all valuable. They all have meaning and importance, and the, the way that God has designed us. 
So in that concept, we actually, it's a big deal to us here at Trinity Church. We actually have a whole class that we'll do probably three or four times a year called God's Design for the Way He's Built You. And we walk through that design acrostic about this uniqueness. And, and it isn't the goal of just knowledge, it's the goal of putting that knowledge to use. Where should I find my place to serve within the body? And we made a big deal about that. That was actually the passage we looked at last August. How many of you were at our Team Trinity rally right here in this building when we kicked off the new year? Awesome. We had such a great day. It was so fun and, and just exciting to think about, God, how are you going to bring these gifts together? How are you going to use us in different ways throughout this church family here on our campus and even out in our community? Well, at that day, I remember I told everyone, man, get out your calendars. I want to tell you when the next event. We're going to do a bookend event. We'll start in August. We'll finish it in May. And I had them get out our calendars, and I said, oh, but I don't actually have a date. Just mark off the whole month of May. Well, today I have a date, May 20th. May 20th, we're going to get together, and we're going to have this other bookend event where we're going to talk about this is what God did. We talked about all about the design and all about getting excited about a new ministry year, but now in May, we're going to look back and we're going to say, God, what did you do in us? What did you do through us? And what things can we celebrate about the way that your design of our individual persons came together to work as a whole? So we're so excited. I want you to mark that on your calendar. Now, if you do have a calendar, you can actually write that down. It'll be in the evening. It's a Friday night. And we're just going to have a blast, just kind of celebrating God's goodness uh, through what he's done through our lives this last year. That's chapter 12. Now, in your Bible, forward a couple chapters over, and then you get into chapter 14. And talk about division. What had happened in the Corinthian church is that they had come together. And when they came together for corporate worship like this, Rather than focusing on the worthiness of Jesus, rather than focusing on how we get to lift him high, we talk weekly about how important it is that we be preoccupied with Jesus. And so rather than making him the focal point, they were making themselves the focal point, coming with their sense of how did I get to express myself today? How did I get a part of the focal point of today's gathering together? And Paul says, you've completely missed the point. This is not why you gather. It's a really a focus about who he is. So you see chapter 12, all about these divisions of valuing some gifts over others. Chapter 14, a valuing of their sense of their spiritual experience and their kind of platforming versus who Jesus is and why we gather together and dropped right smack dab in the middle of those two things is 1 Corinthians 13. The incredible importance of how we love one another. It's Paul's antidote to a divided church. This is how it gets better. This is what really brings those things to a solve. And, and though when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, you go to, those are words that you've heard at a wedding. They might have been words that were said at your wedding, and they're wonderful words. And they're appropriate in that context. But I want you to pull back today and see that wasn't the original context. was one man, one woman joining their lives for the, the rest of their lives. This is, this is how we, the local church, are to treat one another. That's the original intent of these words. So let's dive in today and let's see what this looks like. Here's Paul's antidote to a divided church. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not have love, 
I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, then if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I want you to notice that right out of the gate the writing style that Paul's using. He's saying, if I have or do something but don't have love, it doesn't matter. He's gonna put a lot of different things in that first blank, but he's like, I may have or I may do these things, but if love isn't a part of that equation, they don't count. They aren't of significance. Look back on what these different ones are and how he shows that, he's gonna show us in a minute how love is supreme to all of them. The ability to communicate in earthly languages or even those that are heavenly. The greatest eloquence here below or there above is like a bong, like a clang. It's just kind of this, there's no beauty to it. It just simply makes noise. You can't distinguish it or differentiate it from anything else if it isn't voiced by love. The gift of prophecy speaking on behalf of God, and even the ability with supernatural ability to understand things that are deep and hidden. You may have an amazing array of knowledge and an immense spiritual sense of understanding and how things work in the spiritual realm, but if you don't have love, it's all for naught. Faith that, only be- that uh, not only believes God for seemingly preposterous things. If you're around people who have the gift of faith, you're, you're pretty much impressed by the fact that they believe God for stuff that you don't even think could ever have a chance of happening. And then to even see those things happen, you can have that degree of this great confidence in God's ability and his character. But if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. Now I want you to think of all of those things we just looked at in the first three verses, think at the, of the explanation of all three of them and then ask this question. Isn't it for those things that we bring people up on stages like these and we talk about how incredibly cool it is that God has blessed them with this or God did that through them? These are the stage-worthy things that we celebrate Paul says, any of them, not laced with love, are completely insignificant. And that really caused me to pause when I was putting this message together and just go, man, that is something I gotta think about. The last descriptor isn't about some ability that someone has, but it's what you would give up, and even to the degree of giving up one's body, offering up your flesh and blood to be battered and bruised, but if it's void of love, there's no gain. Man, I think about that, and I think about the different times that I have thought highly of other people for things like we've just read and never once factored into the equation, but do they love? Are they people whose lives drip with love? That matters more than any other thing I should be celebrating. These are hollow and without value and reward and significance unless they're in addition Watch that, unless they're in addition to someone initially being someone who loves others deeply. 
Jesus taught on the supremeness and the essentiality of love, hearkening back even to the former covenant in Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He thought he'd be really sly. There's so many commands. How could you ever narrow it down to one? Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, no hesitation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. So Paul also, in one of his first letters to the churches, when he wrote to the church at Galatia, he went so far to say that if you made it your focus to love other people selflessly, you are accomplishing everything that's in the law. Galatians chapter 5, 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in your notes today, if you're taking notes with us, maybe a way of saying this, if you've got everything but love, you've got nothing. If you've got everything but love, if you think of the things that are parts of your character, parts of your life, parts of your gifts, but love isn't there, 1 Corinthians 13 seems to say you have nothing. But if you've got love, you've got the basis for everything. It's that fundamental, it's that essential. I think about that, and I think about people kind of on both sides of that equation. You can do the same. Get some faces and names in your mind and think about people that you know that are super gifted, people that you know that just do amazing things for God, but yet if you've ever been able to get close to them, if you know them well, you actually see a real void of love in their lives. And you kind of go, huh, I think maybe this is what Paul's talking about. Conversely, think about people that when it comes to the kinds of gifts we would celebrate, I'd be the last person to ever say someone's not gifted. We're all gifted by God uniquely. But think of the kind of gifts we celebrate, but then think of someone that you know loves people deeply, loves them sacrificially, loves them selflessly. And yet they're probably never someone that we're gonna parade up on this stage and go, man, do you see the way she loves people? Do you see the way he is committed to other people? Paul says these are the things we should celebrate. These are the things that matter most. That all sounds good, by the way. This whole concept of love sounds really good, but we have to define it. Like we just said earlier, in our English language, love means everything, so therefore love means nothing. But let's move on in 1 Corinthians 13, and Paul's gonna really help the rubber meet the road, and he's gonna show us what does love look like. Chapter 13, verse four, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I want you to think not just of that theory because what love is doing is Paul's moving it away from a theory but he's also helping us see it's not just an idea, it's a verb. Love is incredibly active. 
Love acts out. Love demonstrates itself. So it's not like a Hallmark card where you can just write something and send it. This is something we demonstrate, something we show. And I want you to think of someone who embodies some of those things we just read. And if you know someone like that, if you know someone who responds that way to you, the first thing you think about is how much you enjoy being around them. You feel safe. You feel accepted even when you're not acceptable. You feel like someone is genuinely for you. You realize that somebody doesn't completely lose it, completely disassociate from you when you fail. Simple question, who doesn't wanna be around somebody like that? The question you and I need to ask ourselves when we read that list, this part, by the way, that I just read, that's the part that's usually read at weddings. And it's so important that it is because it's talking about how these spouses ought to really, when we say we love one another, what does that look like? Paul says it looks like this. When we say in a church we love one another, what does that look like? It looks like this. As so as we begin to walk through those, and it, this is really the goal today, is to start looking in the mirror and asking the question, God, are these things true of me? Does my life look like this? And I think it begs the question, why did Paul include this so strategically in this book, so strategically to this group of Christians? Remember, this was written to a local church. And I think he does it for the main reason why we need to rethink it today. It's because we tend to think less of it. We tend to think, we tend to downgrade the value and importance of love. And Paul's reminding us, but God doesn't. The one who evaluates your life doesn't downgrade love at all. He holds it highly. And we need to be reminded that that's what needs to be important to me as well. That's what surfaced to me so much when I was doing this study back in November for Second Baptist was, God, I have thought that love is something, something complementary to my lifestyle and the way I live and lead and treat others. But 1 Corinthians 13 reminds me that it is absolutely fundamental to my lifestyle and the way that I react and respond to other people. This, this is the stuff. And this was what needs to be defining my life. There's a whole lot of application today. Let me give you one thing that's been a great reminder to me. I was sharing with Dan even before the service that when I gave this message a couple months ago, in that span of like maybe eight weeks since then, it really has been a consistent thing in my life. I've tried to remind myself of a quote that I read in an Andy Stanley book a couple years ago. And this quote simply says this, what does love require of me today? What does love require of me today? What an incredibly helpful phrase, great question to ask myself daily as I move into a new day. And I would say over the course of the last eight weeks, probably four or five times a week, that question is surfacing in my mind on a given day, hopefully on my way to work. Hopefully, as I start the day out asking the question, God, I anticipate meeting with this group of people. I anticipate having this appointment. I anticipate having these types of interactions. What does love look like in those today? 
And I can't think of just a better litmus test kind of question to ask. And the reason why it needs to become so important to us is because it's so important to God. He's spoken into it. It's not what we should be evaluating our lives by based on what our culture says is important. It's not what we should be evaluating our lives by based on our group of friends and what they say is important. It's not even important to evaluate our lives based on what we think is most important. It's important to evaluate our lives based on God, not only who we report to, not only who we're accountable to, but a God even for Christians who one day will judge our lives. This is what matters most to him, therefore it needs to matter most to me. An important tool that I found even years ago when I was a youth pastor, I've had this in the front of my Bible for a long time, is I was thinking about this passage uh, a lifetime ago when I was working with students up in Oregon. And I remember going to a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and I printed it out on one side. And today, these are printed for you in the back table. So whether you're here on campus, um, inside or out on the pavilion, or if you're online, there's a link to this that you can get to. And it's simply the same passage we just read. I'm gonna reread it to you, but then I'm gonna tell you where the spin is. So this is the same passage we read according to the message. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love does not want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. I love that. Love doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. So this is what we did on one side as we wrote out in just as kind of a, maybe a little bit more of an interesting diction of language, this paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13 and what we just read, but then on the back side, on the back side is that same passage, but everywhere where the word love normally is is now a blank. And now what I'm called to do is to put my name there. Talk about looking in the mirror. Are these things true? Does Todd never give up? Does Todd care for, uh, more for others than for self? Does Todd not want what he doesn't have? Does Todd strut? Todd doesn't have a swelled head. Todd doesn't force himself on others. Todd isn't always me first. Todd doesn't fly off the handle. Todd doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Todd doesn't revel when others grovel. Todd takes pleasure in the, flat, pleasure in the flowering of truth. Todd puts up with anything. Todd trusts God always. Todd always looks for the best. Todd never looks back. Todd keeps going to the end. And by the way, I did not read those things as though they are true. That's the evaluation. What an incredible thing to stick to your mirror, incredible thing to stick in the front of your Bible and keep asking yourself the question, does my life look like this? Because love is not meant to stay in the realm of theory, else Paul would have left it there. You ought to love your neighbor, whatever that means. You ought to really love the people in your local fellowship, whatever that might look like, theoretically go do that. He says, no, this is what it looks like. When you put feet to pavement, this is what love looks like when we interact with one another. And it's that kind of action, it's those kinds of verbs that we need to be a people of what we're about. 
Those copies are available on your way out. Today, I would say don't leave without picking one up. Put it somewhere obvious that you'll remember it. So some other questions. If, if this isn't true of my life, if I'm not loving people like that, then what's in the way? What, what's, the, what's the barrier to those types of things? And I'd say a couple seem pretty obvious to me. Number one, if you haven't genuinely understood and experienced, not just through your head, but really through your life, if you haven't experienced the love that God has for you, it's doubtful you're going to be able to love people with that same kind of love. And secondly, I don't think you can love anyone like this unless the the reality of God's spirit living in you and taking over the control of your life, you surrendering to his control, I don't think we love this way apart from God doing a thing in us like that. John wrote to that idea in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. He said, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We have the very spirit of God that indwells us. That's how we know we're his. But look what he goes on to say. We love because he first loved us. It's because we've experienced the love of God that we have that to give away to other people. This kind of demonstrable love is also impossible as long as you and I keep thinking with the mindset of what is fair. Watch what I mean by that. Look in your notes. What we forget about the description of 1 Corinthians 13 is that it's not in relation to people who are loving you back. They're not even mentioned. Man, you've got to think about that. I have got to think about that. If you're gonna say, Todd, the biggest barrier to why I'm not loving the way that Paul tells the Corinthian church to love is because of him or because of her or because of them. Realize Paul gave no caveats. Paul never once mentioned that love is based on how others are loving you. There's never even mentioned in the conversation, he says, as it relates to you, as much as it depends upon you, you and I are called to love. Not based on how they treat me. That one's hard. That one's really hard, but it is absolutely true. And if you're going to keep loving other people based on how they love you, Jesus said you're just like anyone off the street. Matthew chapter five, verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Instead, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus called us to an otherworldly kind of love, not the basic way. We think of love so much in our culture as so transactional. I will respond favorably to you as long as you keep responding favorably to me. That's not the love of the Bible. The love of the Bible says, no matter how you treat me, I'm called to love you. And how do I know that? That's simply the character and the example of Jesus. No matter who treated him how, he continued to love them. Because that's what he is, the embodiment of love, of love and that's what we're called to emulate with our lives. 
Finally today, let's see these last words of this love chapter from 1 Corinthians 13, verse eight. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Is love. Paul reminds the church at Corinth as he's kind of building a case, he said, you may have all these amazing spiritual experiences, spiritual qualities, but apart from love, they don't matter. Then he goes on and defines what love looks like, but he finishes this chapter by saying, and it just makes sense that love is most important because love is what's gonna last. He uses all these different comparisons of here was something in a, in a form that was not clear. Here was a, a confused or a, a, a version that was missing something. But then over time, clarity came. Even in the idea of him being a child who becomes a man, he has a maturity about him and now a clarity that he didn't have when he was younger. And through these examples that move from obscurity to clarity, he talks about how it's ultimately going to culminate when he is known, he already is known, but when he knows his Savior the same way he's known. The lesser things won't be needed because he'll be standing in front of the risen king that day. That day is what he's anticipating. And see how he concludes the chapter, how it just makes sense. Look in your notes. Love is supreme and the greatest because faith and hope will no longer be needed. Think about that for just a moment. You don't need faith when you're standing before the risen Jesus. You don't need hope because there it is right in front of you. Those things have a shelf life. Those have an end date. They won't be forever. But in your notes, but love will continue into eternity that we'll keep demonstrating towards God and towards each other. And it is absolutely essential that love is the greatest of these. Love will go on and on. So Paul wants his audience to understand these other things are important for now. They're significant, but they fall away when you see Jesus face to face. The church at Corinth needed these words 2,000 years ago. Trinity Church needs these words 2,000 years later. Todd needs these words today. And I would say this to us as a community. When we begin to embrace the supremeness of love, when we begin to say what matters most about you, what matters most about me, is the way that we show this 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love to one another, that's the day when we stop taking shots at each other. That's the day when we stop creating caricatures in our mind of what they think or what their motives are. That's the day that we stop allowing unloving things like gossip and criticism to stay alive among us because that's 
not what love looks like. It's where we start evaluating our lives and others according to what God says matters most. It's our love for him and for one another. Not according to our gifts and abilities, not according to our knowledge or the ability to really understand the deeper things, not according to how long you've been a part of Trinity Church. That's not the basis for love. Love is something we give and receive no matter how long you've been here, no matter how long I've been here. And while you can't control the whole, I can't control anybody but me, I am responsible for me. You are responsible for you. And that's where it all begins. When we individually take stock in the fact that God values supremely the way that we demonstrate love to one another and that because it matters most to him. Finally, in your notes today, because God's the one that evaluates our lives, loving others needs to matter most to us. Because God's the one who evaluates our lives, loving others needs to matter most to us. And the great news is in this next season, we won't be without examples of what it looks like to love each other deeply from the heart. Because we're going to see it modeled by Jesus week in and week out. Our next series is gonna be called This Is Love and we're gonna finish the Gospel of John, John chapter 13 to John chapter 21 and we're gonna hit it right in stride when we're talking about um, the elements of Jesus's time with his disciples even at the cross and even at the resurrection we'll time those out to this year's event. So we're so excited about the timing of this next series and what we're gonna see again and again Jesus loved them to the end. And I'm so excited to have those examples readily available to us. A last thing to consider today is simply this. When those of us that are gathered here today in the worship center, out in the pavilion online, when we would start, if it would start with us, if we would say, you know, I can't control other people, I can't control who didn't hear this message today, but if we would internalize this, if we would say, this matters most to God, then this is going to matter most to me. Think of what this group just here today aligned with God's ability to say this is supreme. When we say that's supreme in my life as well, think of what God could do at this local church. Think of what God could do through this local church in our community. I get so, so excited about that potential. So as we finish today, keep this thought this week throughout your mind. I'll keep it on the front of mine. What does love require of me today? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today on this very first Sunday of this brand new year of 2022. And we are so excited to gather. We're so excited to be your people and to be able to lift high your praises. But God, we see today with clarity from your word that loving one another matters more than anything else. God, would that be true? Would that be something that we embrace personally? Would we see the truth of it and would we respond like we should in every other part of our lives? You say this is fundamental. You say this is essential. Help us, God, to grasp that. Help us to embrace it. Help us to live it this week towards one another. You may be here today 
And when I said the only way you're able to do this is if you've known the love of God yourself, if you have his spirit indwelling you to give you the ability to live that love out, you might be here today and you would say, Todd, I don't have those things. I've never really responded to the invitation of the gospel to have my sins forgiven and to have uh, Jesus be my Lord, my example, to have his spirit indwell my life. If that's true and you're here today and you want to do that, you want to respond to this kind of love that's loved you so, would you A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior? Would you B, believe that Jesus is the only savior available and the way he loved you wasn't with words, but it was with action all the way to the cross? Would you C, choose? Choose to say, Jesus, I put my hope and confidence in what you've accomplished for me I want to live my life walking towards your example, following you. And today you can know the love of God like you've never known it before. I pray you wouldn't let another day go by till you respond to this great good news that God has for you. Father, this week, change our hearts, change our minds, change our ways that we would be a people who love first. Thank you for your immense love for us. And we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.